0: I'm Leila Saad, and my life is driven by one burning question. How can I become a good ancestor? How can I create a legacy of healing and liberation for those who are here in this lifetime and those who will come after I'm gone? In my pursuit to answer this question, I'm interviewing change makers and culture shifters who are also exploring that question for themselves in the way that they live and lead their life. It's my intention that these conversations will help you find your own answers to that question too. Welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Good Ancestor Podcast. Today I'm really excited to share with you a conversation with someone who I feel like I've known forever, but this is actually our first time speaking um, which is really strange um, but not a surprise her name is jamia wilson and jamia is the director of the feminist press she is a prolific writer she's contributed to the new york times rookie refinery 21 glamour l the today show cnn bbc just to name a few places where her work has been featured she is the author of young gifted and black And she wrote the oral history in Together We Rise, behind the scenes at the protest heard around the world. She co-authored the book Roadmap for Revolutionaries, which sits right here on my desk. Um, And it's a guidebook for resistance, advocacy, and activism. The former Women, Action, and the Media Executive Director, Ted Price, storyteller, Planned Parenthood, Federation of America Youth Organizer, and former Vice President of Programs, at the Women's Media Center. She really has done so much, and she really her work really inspires me. Her most recent book for youth is called Step Into Your Power, 23 Lessons on How to Live Your Best Life, which will be released on March 5th, 2019. And I have to say, Jamia, when I saw that, I was like, oh, I can't wait till my daughter's a little bit older so I can <laughs> give her that book. Um, welcome, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me
1: and for your kind words. And yes, I can't wait until your daughter's old enough for the book. And so I can sign her a special personalized message and a letter in the book. I already know since she's your daughter that she knows a lot about stepping into her power. I'm sure because Mm. you're someone who I also greatly admire and I'm really honored to be on your show.
0: Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, So, you know, this is, I just want to, give people a little bit of um, context for um, where we are before we dive in with our first question. Um, Jimmy, I know your mom has recently transitioned. She's recently passed away. And it just seems like the perfect time to have this kind of a conversation. We're talking about what it means to be an ancestor. We're talking about the ancestors who have influenced us. We're talking about what it means to live in the world as a living ancestor and the legacies that we're leaving behind as ancestors. And I know your mother has been such a huge influence on your life. Um, We were talking just before we hit record about how much you look like her and um, kind of what this experience has been like for you, the process that you're in right now. Um, So the very first question I'm asking is, who are some of the ancestors living or transitioned familial or societal, who have influenced you on your journey?
1: Mm, Thank you so much for this opportunity to honor my mother and speak the names of my ancestors. My mother's name was Willa Alfreda Mm -hmm. (laughs) Campbell-Wilson, which I say that importantly because she really believed that she wanted to maintain her intellectual property and work um that she had before she married my dad which I think really contributed to my feminism just in terms of how she lived her life and even named herself Um, and my mom was just a beautiful person she was known as Frida and what I loved about her was that she was just a giver and a loving forgiving spirit a tender but strong person who is very very witty but elegant mysterious very very compassionate and loved people even if they didn't love her back but was also someone who suffered no fools and what's been wonderful for me in her passing is that people from around the world have given me stories that I will forever cherish about ways that my mom helped them that I had no idea about. And she was that kind of person who would just do whatever she could to, to be a friend, to be a helper and to, to love people. And she was a deeply spiritual person, someone who had a strong belief in her faith and in God, um, and were Christians. So in Jesus's way, but also was not a proselytizer. So, I just, I so deeply admire her too, because now in her death, I've been finding many letters to myself and my dad in books and in all sorts of spaces in which her spirit is helping us to find that are her deep musings about God. And those weren't things she talked about as much with any sort of ego or pressure to me growing up. But now I'm finding out that the ways in which she lived her life was very much governed by her faith, even deeper than I know. And so I just, I miss her so much. And, um, you know, she was a medical speech pathologist who had international acclaims and, you know, had these awards and Fulbrights and fellowships and South Carolina woman of the year and all these kinds of things. But to me, she was mommy. And um, just being able now to get to know her spirit in a different way is a blessing. But most of all, I just feel gratitude in, connection to the deep loss I feel of just not being able to touch her and to embrace her. Um, but she was just a strong spirit who endures and and I very much feel honored to have had her in my life.
0: Thank you so much for honoring us with that. Um, that was so beautiful and I don't know, just the way that you, the way that you speak about your mother, um, move something very deep within me and it's so beautiful to see how even though I didn't know her, have never spoken to her, the way you describe her and then the way that I see you, I'm like, Jamia is really her mother's, her, her, her mother's daughter.
1: Oh, thank you so much. That gives me such comfort. You know, she would always say to me, you know, she would, she, my mom was someone who wasn't super, um like vocally demonstrative. She could be very quiet mm-hmm. and she was very vivacious and effervescent, but also very quiet and sort of like quietly elegant, but every once in a while, you know, when she would kind of be playful or, Open, she would always say, um, You're my numero uno muno <laughs> to mm. me. Um, and I think it was because I so much took after her. Although my mom, though, was someone who really deeply believed in self possession and self actualization. So she had also said to me, kind of close to her death, because she'd been um, fighting a very pernicious cancer that um, kills African American women at twice the rate of other women in this country, um, in the US. Um, across class lines, um, that my mother had had a lot of time to talk to me about a lot of things, kind of knowing and fighting this disease. And she had said to me that she'd noticed I'd written a lot about her. I dedicated my most recent book to her, Step Into Your Power, and that she wanted me to be careful about um adulating her too much um that she had concerns about that and that she wanted me to know her humanness and her imperfection too and i said that while though while although i knew those things i also wanted to make sure that she was able to receive the affirmation and praise she so much deserved as a black woman who was a trailblazer and dealt with many challenges and so that was really interesting to me that i think that even in her own um, humility, sometimes she wouldn't like the praise, <laughs> right, in which I'd spoke about her, but I think she was ultimately um, really proud of that and uh, proud that I recognized in her the kind of woman I wanted to be. I just, I feel so blessed that I had a mother who was not only my mother, she was my friend, and also a role model and business coach and she would always say that I owed her like interest for being a free life and business coach. <laughs> she really was that and even the other day as I was looking through and I'm working on my feminist press strategic plan I went back to an email that I was kind of led to, I think by spirit where she had given me a vision of what she had for what could be a great business plan for the first year of the feminist press when I got the job. And when I looked at the things that she had mentioned at the time, I thought, Oh, this is mom being extra. Um, I realized, Oh, the things in which she said are the things that are needed and what I'm doing and what we're doing. <laughs> and so she was just brilliant. And I think, um, the kind of person who wanted to help everyone my husband had a similar experience where he's a jazz musician and my mother said to him that she'd had a vision that he would do these sorts of workshops that um would be different than what other people were doing and that she had created a folder for him with ideas that she had and then he hired a creative coach who gave him some ideas several years later. And he said, you know what? My mother-in-law said these several years ago, and I don't think I was ready to hear it. And at the time he said, I thought it was really intense that she'd started a folder, (laughs) 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 which was her for anyone who knew her. Well, she was just like a natural mentor and counselor. And later he said, all the things that your mom said five years later, I'm realizing those are the things that I need to do. Hmm. at juncture." And so, she was just a teacher and, um, and she did that in her life and in her work, but also, um, at her death, I finally looked up the meaning of her name, which means counselor in old English. Wow. So it's just, it's just, it's interesting. I feel like, um, you know, to me, the world took her, she left the world too soon. You know, she died, um, less than two full weeks after her 70th birthday, but I also feel like, and she died on Christmas morning at the exact time of day that I was born um i was born at 7:30 and wow. in october and died and she was born on a tuesday and died on a tuesday um but it i just think like the way in which she died was the way in which she lived like with dignity without fear with acceptance with grace and integrity and also with gratitude and I don't know if I have yet evolved to be a person who can do that, but I've learned a great deal from her in that, and I think I was someone who kind of had shame about having a fear of death before watching my mom enter that transition, and now I don't fear death anymore, which is something I'm really trying to explore, that I thought after this experience that I would fear death more, but I'm actually much more curious about it, (laughs) Um, and much more at peace with the notion that we all have to go into a new dimension at some point and that our times will vary but it will come and we must move into it with grace and i and i saw that in her she never felt she would always say i've i've never asked the question why me the entire time i've had cancer and that's something that i didn't quite understand but i now understand because that was what the lesson she was trying to teach me
0: you know what's thank you for that um you know what's really powerful for me as I'm listening to you speak is how in hearing you speak about her and how she lived her life and how she taught you and how she was in her beingness that she was not only a good ancestor to you but I'm 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 like I, I'm learning from this good ancestor through through you but I'm learning about this Incredible woman who I did not have the pleasure of, of meeting or learning from, but right now, hearing you talk about how she lived her life, there's so many jewels in there that you've just given us um, about how to live well, um, how to teach um, our children. You know, the other day, um, my daughter, who's nine, we were talking about the word ancestor, and I asked her, Do you know what an ancestor is? Um, And she didn't, so I explained it to her, and I said, "I'm your ancestor. Um, and I will be when I pass. Um, and so we talked about this idea of your ancestor is not just someone who you know, you know is in your family line from generations back, but it's the people f- who you come from. And I look at my parents who are both still alive. And I've been thinking so much recently about the ways in which I am my father's daughter, the ways in which I am my mother's daughter, the different ways I'm similar to them and different to them, right? Um, the really important lessons that they taught me that throughout throughout my life that I'm really only getting now as an adult um, and how... I have so much gratitude for how they lived their life and what they taught me and how that has influenced how I show up in the world and how it gives me strength during hard times and how it, um, is like a blueprint for how to live, um, in, in ways that are, su- that are that are successful and that, you know, they raised me and my brothers really well. Um, they taught us so much. They really prepared us for life. And it's, it just, it, it's very moving for me to hear you talk about your mother who has, who has passed and how you're really embodying those lessons and that you're able to speak about her, not just the grief, which I know we spoke about just before we hopped on here, um, but also the lessons on how to live as someone you will also pass and I will also pass you know, our time will also be over. And it's like, how do we, from what we learned from our ancestors, what, how do we live our lives so that when we're those ancestors, people can say the kind of things about us that you've just told us about your mother. Mm.
1: And I'm just, I love seeing pictures of you online and with your children because I do see that similar um, energy that that I felt growing up with my mom, right? Like you can see when children feel full of love and mm-hmm. surrounded by love. You can see it and you can feel it and you can see it and you can feel it. And I'm a deeply intuitive and empathic person as I would see that in you as well. Um, I can see it when people are missing that in their lives also. Um, and when I, I see that in your children, I see that sense of like connectedness and intactness of knowing they are loved, um, which I think is, that's the teaching too, right? That is, that is the teaching. That is something that can't be taken away from you. And I think that is like ancestors and how we will live into our ancestry in this plane and and into the next plane is really about like, how do we share love, give love, teach the next generation to find love within themselves and Mm -hmm. to honor it when they receive it. And I think it's, it's really important. I think that is something that um, she really gave me. I, one of the last things she said to me when she was starting to, you know, transition and talking a lot less was, I said, Mom, do you know that you're loved? I just need you to know that you're loved. And she said, Jamia, I know that I'm loved. <laughs> just like that. Mm-hmm. And then she said, I love you. Um, And I was just thinking, oh, you know, of all the things she's done to help other people to leverage her platform for others to teach, to support, to nurture, that gift was the biggest gift, right? Just to show love, to sow love, to know love, um, Mm -hmm. and to reflect it back, and um, to always be grateful, and to always be um, coming to. The work, as we
0: would say it with like the capital W. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, d- capital T, the capital, w, the
1: capital T, capital W, the uh-huh. work. You know, the that, work. That was always her thing. You know, I think for me, there's like a pettiness in me that she was always trying to help me get better <laughs> from. <laughs> if I were to be completely honest, you know, and I think sometimes that, that pettiness is good, right? That's like a little bit scrappy, it's a little bit, and it's helped. But, you know, she'd always kind of try to round my edges a little bit about those things and to kind of be like, you need to see the higher thing. You need to rise higher than this. You need to know the bigger picture, mm. have a deeper understanding, a bigger focus about things that are going on. And, and so I think of that a lot about, like, when we transition, right, that I, I want to be that for younger people. I want to teach them to move away from the visceral, small um myopic vision (laughs) and move toward the bigger picture the greater good the highest and being able to see the highest sooner um and now I kind of wish that I'd gotten some of those lessons sooner but I think the greatest gift she gave to me was kind of you know in a hospital bed one day saying baby I want you to know that I see that you are learning and you have learned so much and I'm so proud And that helped me feel like she knew that I was going to be okay. And she kept saying, I'm going to be okay. It's it's okay. It's okay. You know, and at that time I was like, it's not okay. Like we need you here, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she, I think that was a big part of her understanding of her time on this earth as a mother was knowing that it was about teaching those lessons, that it wasn't about her attachment to ego or these things it was about like sharing and teaching and passing on as like how you really remain immortal um and so that's something that I think a lot about and I'm just excited like children like yours are going to even have a whole other elevated conscience um and that was something she had said to me that she'd said oh based on the things you've been exposed to things we've talked about um, I'm really proud to know that you're going to help move things forward in a way that my generation moved things forward with a little bit more consciousness than our four parents. And Mm. she had said, you know, during some of those conversations we had at the end that she really believes that each generation will move it forward and the next generation will get it closer to right. Even though things seem hard right now, because in my myopic moment, you know, I was kind of like, I can't, you know, you can't leave this earth while this guy is president. It can't be like that. Um, but kind of like, you know, using that as an example of how, you know, distraught I was that I'm like, I need to have a big, a bigger vision for you to see, but she was kind of like, I'll see, and I'll see as things will change and you, you and the next generation will help transform it as my generation did that during the civil rights movement, as we felt called to do, and as she did with her body and soul. So I just, yeah, I'm, I I think a lot about what it means to be an ancestor, and I think now I'm walking with much more intentionality, and I think around two days after she died, because she died on Christmas Day, so the first day was just very shocking, yeah um, a couple days after I, after kind of acting normally, or normally, in quotes, you know, kind of going through the motions, I had a sort of day where I just kicked everyone out when they tried to t- come to me to comfort me. I got a quart of sorbet, I think was what I ate the whole day. And I got under a blanket that I bought her for her birthday at the hospital and wrapped myself in it and just wept all day. Mm. Um, And very much let myself sort of wail and live into the deep, dark sadness that I felt, but also um, understanding that I think she wanted me to to have those moments there because she also prepared me to kind of like address your feelings head on so you can do that and then move forward. <laughs> um, and so that's something else that I, I think about a lot in terms of just the teaching, the teaching and like how like she taught me how to mourn hmm. and all of those things that i'm I'm living through right now. Um, but yeah it's uh, it's just it's been really profound, you know I think, what I hope to do, which I'm not ready to do now, is to help others in the future who've lost their moms, um, because I now understand how difficult it is, and um, I think that could be a calling in itself.
0: That's that's a, that's incredible, and it's so it's it's interesting to me because. You have these books that you've done, The Young, Gifted, and Black, which, by the way, I keep meaning to buy it. I, I need to put it on my list of <laughs> books next time I order. Uh, I would, would know, love
1: to give you a copy of it, so just send me your address. Thank
0: you, you because I really That's want to get it for, for my for my kids, um, for them to have it, uh, you know, to flick through it and to, to, to see themselves. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me how you yourself doing the work that you do in the world. You have this book, Young, Black, Young, Black, and Gifted. You have this new upcoming book, um, which is just coming out in a couple of months. Um, The uh, Step Into Your Life, it's Step Into Your Power book, where you are doing this work to uplift young people and prepare them um, for really seeing themselves and really having that you use the word self-possession earlier when you talked about your mom that she 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 felt that that was really important I often use the word sovereignty and sovereignty is actually one of my it's one of my core values this idea of personal sovereignty Um, but I also like the word self-possession as well and so I'm seeing you being this kind of Ancestor bridge where you're preparing the generations that are coming up, but you're also learning from the generations who are, uh, who have come before us and who, you know, like your mother have now transitioned. Um, And so it's, it's just really fascinating to me to see you as this living, walking ancestor.
1: Thank you so much for saying that because I feel like, you know, I told her that I just am trying so hard to grow into who she raised me to be. And, you know, some days are better than others. And some days my inner child wants to remain an inner child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that uh, I just, I really want to do that. And I think the big question I'm exploring now, and I had been exploring it during her illness. Um, was like, do I want to be a mother in the sense that I would bring a child into life like biologically or do I want to be a mother in a different way or do I want to birth creative projects that help support children that are not ones that I birth or both and really exploring that and I had felt during the time that she was sick that I couldn't um, be a caretaker and be Thinking about getting pregnant or being a mother, mm. uh, but it's something I'm really examining now um, in terms of like embodying ancestry's ancestral status, right? That because that I think is like the most profound thing to to literally pass on your DNA to another being, <laughs> um, and that is something I'm I'm really pondering now. That's like, my big exploration about you know what kind of ancestor am I going to be? One that um, will have Human descendants, <laughs> or will it be in a different way in which I um, share things with the next generation? Mm. Uh, and you know i I, I teach, so that's that's been really helpful to be able to you know directly teach my students and mentor students and interns, but I'm now kind of having the profound question of you know will i will I give life um, and, and I'm still trying to think about it. I, I should probably be thinking about it a lot more quickly given where i am in my age <laughs> but according to my doctor but um <laughs> it's that's like my big existential exploration right now
0: i love that you've brought this up though because it does um it is it, it is something you know when we're talking about what does it mean to be an ancestor What does it mean to be a good ancestor and there are so many different ways to be an ancestor right um Passing on our DNA, literally creating life from ourselves, is one way to be an ancestor. Um, when I do my work, I see the first beneficiaries of my work are my my daughter and my son. They're the very first. and And if and if I have served the world, but I have not served them, then I have failed as an ancestor. But I also look at the people who've passed, who I consider my ancestors. And this is when I was having this discussion with Maya, um, who, you know, I said to her, you know, my, I consider Maya Angelou one of my ancestors. And I said, that's why you're named after her. And she's like, I'm named after Maya Angelou? And <laughs> I was like, yes, you are. Um, because that's the, that's the importance that she, ha- that she holds in my life. Um, that Audre Lorde holds in my life, that Octavia Butler holds in my life, that, you know, we're talking today and it's, it's Oprah's 65th birthday today. And I'm like, Oprah is like the wow. ancestor. Right? Wow. <laughs> There's so many of us, you know, and I posted about her and I said, happy birthday, queen mother. And I'm like, you, re- you really are. I don't know you, but I consider myself one of your children. And, um, and so it's, I I love that you've raised this issue around what does it mean to you to be a good ancestor is, is this going to be a next step for you and really sitting with that question, um, about legacy and what comes after I'm gone and where do I want to pour my creative energy into, is it into actually creating life and nurturing life is it the, is it my creative work? Is it the, the young souls and minds who I'm nurturing through the work that I put out into the world? And it could be all of them, you know? Um, but yeah, I, fi- I find that really fascinating for us to define what it means for ourselves to be an ancestor.
1: And I love how you were talking about that around Oprah, you know, cause I definitely would consider her one of mine and also Maya Angelou. I felt very deeply connected to her story when researching young gifted and black. And she was one of the profiles that like lived in my bones mm. after, a long time afterward. And her words, um, Stevie wonder is another that really spoke with me, um, throughout the process, just feeling connected to his soul and lessons from him. And, um, Yeah, it just, it is, it is interesting that we get to shape that and we get to shape, you know, how we connect with ancestors. There's ancestors that I didn't even get to know that I just heard a lot about also in my life, like my great grandfather, Herman McKinney, who passed before I was born, but there's so many stories about him and so many ways in which I've heard that he's impacted others and literally lots of men named after him in my family life, mm-hmm. variations of Herman as their name, um, that I, I feel deeply connected to his spirit, even though I didn't get to ever, you know, be embraced by him or to hang out with him, just hearing how much my grandmother loved him, how much my mom loved him, how much he signified protection, safety, love. Um connection, unconditional love for, for my family. Mm. Um, and to see in this like other line of men intergenerationally who carry the name Herman now, who are him continuing to live on was really, really cool. And I've had some moments. I had a moment where I had a kind of a health scare years ago and went in and went, and felt like I was going to get bad news based on what they had had to scan. And then felt this light energy around me where I felt like the hands of both. It was like a light of both my great grandfather and my grandfather, who I very much loved. And then I came out and the doctors told me that there had been a mistake and they'd read the um, labs wrong and that I was okay. Huh. And that was an experience that I will never forget because I haven't had many like that. Um, but it was very profound, and I thought, "Oh, that's an ancestor who I've never met, but I know." <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. Um, that yes. Is, yeah. I felt him there, protecting me, and it was very real. Um, and I've written about that in the Young Gifted and Black book as well. That. Um, when Andrea Pippins and I made the book together, she was the wonderful illustrator who did it. Um, We wrote an introduction and in the introduction I wrote about how my grandfather has come to me and dream once in my life since he passed. And that dream, he told me to move to New York and to write that things were going to change in my life when I moved here. Mm -hmm. And they did all of those things came true. And then this year I ended up getting the award for the distinguished alumna for the grad school of arts and sciences at NYU of which my grandfather was one of the early black people in that program um, wow. many years before I was born and uh, I thought oh this is spirit <laughs> you know kind of showing me the full circle
0: that's incredible of,
1: you know um, and so I, I, I definitely feel deep connection to the ancestors and I definitely feel like I'm guided. I mean, the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you today and like that I've, you know, one of my board members was joking. She's like, the fact that like right after mom died that I came into the office looking good and smelling right, <laughs> 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 um, that came from just me having people who are guiding me, helping me get up, seeing the bigger picture, understanding mm-hmm. that I'm moving forth a legacy and that I'm supported and guided. Um, helping me put on that perfume, <laughs> yeah. get out of that bed and caffeinate and take that shower. Although I want to be curled up under the covers still, you know, um, I feel very much that like there's some other force that's driving me. And every time I even do a speaking engagement, I just ask spirit to like take over my body and my voice and let, let it happen. Um, And I'm I'm still working on that kind of surrender to just like have my ancestors help me to do that better and more with less fear.
0: fear. I'm breathing that in. I'm breathing that in. Oh, yeah. Yes, I feel that. Um, The question that just came to mind for me, I was going to ask you something else completely different. And then this question just dropped in. And it is, what is the call that you're answering?
1: Mmm. <laughs> I love that question. The call that I'm answering, I believe I was sent to this earth and I'm still trying to really figure it out. A spiritual teacher of mine said this, but she wouldn't tell me exactly how, that she saw this in me, that I was sent here to move hearts and minds with my writing, with my speaking, with communication. I don't know exactly at what level in what way and what the final sort of story would be. But I know that's what I was sent here to do. And I know that fearless self-expression is something that I've always gravitated to an ancestor. So I consider Frida Kahlo an ancestor, Mm -hmm. although I never met her. Um, you know, she, my mom's name was Frida. So I was always kind of con- connected to her and my mom. And I always loved that about Frida Kahlo. But I see her as a person who had fearless self-expression. that She was unapologetically herself, self-possessed, as we said. Hmm. She owned her being. She, like myself, was someone who had disability that she had to live with throughout her life. And I was born blind in one of my eyes. And she had, um, she was a complicated person. I would self-identify as one of those. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Felt deeply, thought deeply, created deeply, but that comes with strengths and weaknesses. She had an intensity. She was not always a well-behaved woman, (laughs) as they would say. Um, And she was someone who was deeply emotional in all the best ways, but also tumultuous, And so she's someone who helps me think that not that I would compare my calling to hers, but that somewhat of my calling because I see something in the way in which she was that speaks to me in the way that women like her exist and existed um, makes me feel like, okay, my role is to kind of be someone who tells story with a power, with a vulnerability and with a truth that shows other people who may be people who possess vision before other people get it. Yeah. That they can continue to press forward, that they should continue to speak, that they should speak truth to power. Another ancestor I feel that possesses that as well as Joan of Arc, who is another one. I Love
0: Joan of Arc. Yeah. Isn't she the best? Yeah, I just, mm, you know,
1: like, ah, I just feel like I'm, of, of that lineage. Too. Yes. Same. Um, yes. <laughs> it's just, you know, all of those, right. Like Mary Magdalene is another, mm-hmm. um, and there's something about those women that, that makes me feel like when, as I start to understand, like real, peeling off the layers of what I think my calling might be, that it's something about like that, that sort of spirit. Um, I see it in Anne Frank yeah. Um and the way in which she wrote. Um, you know, I always talk about Judy Bloom, how I loved those books, and I've and met Judy Bloom and I've interviewed her. I see it in her too that she just was not afraid to be who she is. And that's how she told stories. And she wrote stories about people being who they were, being who they are, mm. um, and all of their quirks and beauty with truth and without flowering or dressing, I guess, if that makes sense.
0: Um, and I so, mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, you know, Frida is, Frida Kahlo is at the top of my mind right now if You say that, is, and Joan of Arc. And, and it's so clear, especially when we speak about Joan of Arc, how she was so cold. And it was like, nothing anyone could tell her could break that connection.
1: And devotion right i mean yes. i think that's really hard for me to explain to people who aren't deeply spiritual mm-hmm. which is, and which i've always identified with and that's a gift my mom and dad both really gave me but that devotion you know that like I the people who I want to be around who inspire me are people who have experienced and embody a deep level of devotion and it doesn't have to be devotion to like my god (laughs) you know what I mean because I also although I subscribe to a religion I do ultimately believe that there is like a truth that mortals have no ability to understand (laughs) that we can all kind of access in these different ways. And so I I feel like Joan of Arc really signifies that, that she just like had so much devotion, so much righteousness, so much belief in truth and so much belief in her beloved that she was devoted to, Mm. which, which can mean very many things for us that she, that she, fearlessly would be ready to, to put her life on the line. And um, Megan Watterson, the feminist writer and beautiful theologian um, and friend, has written about Joan of Arc and it has her in her Divine Feminine deck. But what I love about Megan's deck is that she'll often go online and post stories about these beautiful archetypes and powerful archetypes. And I'd never heard the one of how Joan of Arc said to raise the cross higher so she could see it through the flames when they were burning her. Um, And so I often think about that, that my calling is to be someone who believes so much in what I do and what I need to express and what I was sent here to express that it will always be the thing I'll have in my line of vision, even if that's at great risk to myself. Um, And I know that that's what I was sent here to do. And I think that's how I kind of ended up getting into professional feminism, I guess, so to speak, and the kind of work that I do. Because there's sometimes when I will even say things and say, oh, wait, why would you do that? (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That will come with implications and still hear a voice that's like but you know it needed to be done and if not you who else
0: and in the, it right if not you who and 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 it and it came to you
1: yes in the way spirit does right <laughs> exactly right
0: and so it's like i know that feeling you know it came it comes to you and it's like are you sure it, like now <laughs>
1: At, oh I'll I have thought okay. that about you. I have been like oh my gosh God bless Layla because I can only imagine the conversations you've had with yourself being like wow spirit like sending me to minister to people about white supremacy <laughs> 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 Emotional weaver uh-huh. that it- to do like I like bless you because I know that that would be extreme. Like the amount of emotional labor that I personally carry, which isn't as much as what you do. I mean, I I like see I see you in the comment section, and I want to like have a tithe to go to donate <laughs> because <laughs> I'm just like I hope that you have ritual to like release yeah. what people are thrusting out there. But I know that it is calling, and you do it so rightly, and you do it with such integrity, strength. That, like, I believe, like, spirit sent you here to do this. Yeah. But I'm sure you've probably had conversations with spirit. Oh about, yeah.
0: Oh, this is deep. <laughs> like. Yeah. Why <laughs> um, me? <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I've had many conversations with my husband where we talk about because my husband, um, who is my rock and who has been, you know, we're coming up on our 11-year uh, anniversary, anniversary, and Congratulations. he's- Congratulations. Thank you very much. But he's been the person since day one who's like, don't do any of this other stuff, you're a writer. That's what you're here to do, you're here to be a writer. And it took me a long time to um, to realize that and to own it. Um, but he doesn't have a, an online presence and he doesn't do the kind of work that I do. And we're very different in in our professional lives. Um, and so we have these conversations and I share with him around what, what does it mean to hold this kind of space and how, you know, the kind of things that come my way, um, and how hard it is sometimes. But I also tell him that I know that I am covered in God's protection. Because if I wasn't, I wouldn't still be here doing this. And I don't do it in a self-sacrificial way. I do have ritual. I do have, a like yourself, a strong spiritual practice. Um, and I have people around me who really hold space for me and who, you know, I have a mentor. I have um, spiritual healers and people around, uh, in my inner circle. But I also know without this, you know, God, and I pray every day, cover me above me, below me, in front of me, behind me, to my right, to my left, surround me with your angels of protection. Um, that when you're called, you're called. And, the, and you're either going to say yes and get on with it, or you're going to keep running away from it and have it, have, keep running straight back into it.
1: And, and I it's beautiful that you shared that because I do the same prayer every day. So I'm just, mm. my heart is palpitating right now.
0: Wow, and you know, and this is what I wanted to speak about because something that you know we were introduced through our mutual friend Latham Thomas, um, my dear sister, and I know you love her deeply as well. We she she told me you really you really need to connect with my friend Jamia, and I was like, oh, who is Jamia? I'd never heard of her. Um, So I googled you, (laughs) and uh, and I found you know all these talks, and I started listening, and I was like, she's like me she's like me, but different, but me. Um, And the reason why I felt that was not just because you were a passionate Black woman who um, has, you know, is a a writer, um, but that you also, like me, grew up in a country that was different to the place that you came, that you were from. So I grew up in the UK, my parents are East African and Omani, but I grew up in the UK, you're African-American, you grew up in Saudi Arabia. And I live in the Middle East now. And I was like, I never find people who know what it's like this side of the world. Which is why
1: I was like shocked when I heard about you, because I thought, oh my gosh, how have
0: we not met yet? Right.
1: That we're kind of like on the same frequency. I
0: love it. I love it too. And, and so one of the questions that I wanted to ask you actually was about, you know, I'm a third culture kid, third culture adult. Um, there is no place that I can say is home, home, and this is my home, and this is the only place that I'm from. Um, and so that this idea of never quite fitting is something that I've lived with all my life. And it's only in the last Year that you know a friend of mine who was on um, the Wild Mystic Woman podcast, Sarah Hale Mariam, she told me about this quote by James Baldwin, which she paraphrased, but it was the place in which I'll fit is the one that I'll make for myself. And I'm and so I'm wondering for you, also having lived, having grown up in 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 your early years, in a place that wasn't where your family are from. Um, and also being african-american right because there's there's that as well america isn't where your family is from either strictly speaking right if you go back uh to africa um what has been your experience of difference
1: mm, so i'm just a sort of so much i want to ask you about your life <laughs> and growing up now too but I- You know, I've always kind of felt like an odd duck in most of the spaces I've been in. Um, I think, you know, when I first felt real belonging, it was in, when I think of the golden years, you know, was when I, my first five years of life living in a small town in South Carolina, not far from where my mother grew up or where my dad grew up, where my parents were tenured professors in a historically black college situation where my grandfather had gone to undergrad, my mom had gone to undergrad, my parents were working and all of the people around us were you know black intellectuals and people in that community and so it was a beautiful place to kind of start my life because I saw the world from this place of seeing like smart empowered people who looked like me and then when we moved to Saudi Arabia it was really exciting to be in a school with so many nationalities represented and different languages and the diversity of all the kids that I'd meet on the playground in my compound Mm -hmm. Um, and all of those things, just like learning new things like cricket, which was a game I didn't know existed until I moved there and all of the kids like would want to teach me cricket um, because that wasn't something that American kids typically played. Um, But then, you know, having kind of, come to that environment and then realizing after coming from a black school mostly black school mostly black people of my same class background this kind of thing to come to an international school that is diverse but still have like a white new Zealander boy tell me that he didn't want to have to be paired in square dancing with a girl who had cotton candy hair and who came from an word family likely heard from his parents or, you know, from a black, a white girl who was in my class in first grade who had been a friend and then suddenly invited everyone else to her birthday party instead of me because her mom didn't like black people. Oh. And that was, you know, a moment where I felt like, oh, I had to grow up sooner than my white classmates, including the perpetrators of this sort of racial violence at such a young age. and export of that kind of racism right to a country that they're living in that is run by people of color <laughs> right. yet um that this would happen and so that is the moment i think about in terms of like really first feeling othered but then after that going back to the u.s during the gulf war and during holidays with my parents and feeling very othered by kids in school in the States and other black kids who thought that I talked weird or who thought that my perspectives made them uncomfortable because they were different or mm-hmm. that I ate weird food or my cousins who didn't think I fit in because of how I spoke or because of my interests that were different <laughs> because I had been living in this other country as a third culture kid. And so, um, where I found my solace, where I found my connection was through other third culture kids who kind of had that experience in their context, be it in Sudan or in Denmark, right? That they were that person there. And then when I went to boarding school, because at that time, Saudi Arabia, um, there wasn't an American school option past the ninth grade. It's now changed When I went to boarding school, I went to this all-girls school in Maryland, started by blue-stocking feminist Anglicans, Um, and although it was a wonderful school, and I love it, and I learned so much there about being a strong woman in pursuit of knowledge and, you know, the the motto of the school was truth without fear, which I think is beautiful, um, I was one of 12 Black people in the whole school. And so there was a lot that I experienced there, and there were a lot of people who came from very wealthy backgrounds who were there, Um, and just kind of navigating the experience of being black, middle class, and an expat in an environment where there were, you know, white girls with a lot of wealth who had been completely, in some cases, sheltered from any experience other than their own with enormous amounts of privileges, and and navigating that. Um, And so through those things really kind of have colored my life, uh, pun intended, and Mm. throughout that um, I've kind of returned to some of those feelings in workplaces where I've been one of the few women of color or in feminist spaces where people have othered me for wanting to name racial dynamics and Intersectional dynamics when it's not convenient for the agenda they're trying to move forth, you know those sorts of things, and that constant. Um, one of my friends, Kanari, talks about it as like the constant paper cuts that turn into a wound. Yes. Um, and where you will start to even like surveil or gaslight yourself. Right. Analyze depression because other of other people's reaction to you just being who you are, and stepping outside of the box of what they think people who look like you should be. That has been my issue to the point where even my dad has started to joke about it, where he'll just kind of be like, Oh yeah, that's another time where like someone was triggered by you being like much more multidimensional than they like can accept. (laughs) and like I see that coming from many different vectors, but I think what my mom helped me do was to see that as a gift. Hmm. Um, Because I can be a bridge and I can see perspectives that maybe other people are too in depth in their tunnel to see and having to adapt at such a young age to new environments, to new languages, etc, has helped me kind of feel like I'm most comfortable actually out of my typical home environment that, you know, I was thinking about what does it say about me that I'm more comfortable in Paris Mm. than I am in my hometown in North Carolina,
0: Ooh, hold on a sec. Um, yeah, so that is interesting that you, well, it's interesting, but it's not surprising that you feel most yourself when you're not, you're not, you're not having to necessarily fit into a box of who you think you should be.
1: And it's really hard because I think some people, you know, they're just like, why can't you just do it? Why can't you just get it? Why can't you just fit it? You know, <laughs> and and I think the big lesson I'm dealing with is, you know, setting boundaries with people who want to be in control of that for their own comfort, right? They want to maintain their own comfort and want me to support myself to that. And I just can't, like, I think seeing my mom pass away, I was already on the path of just saying, uh, I reject that, <laughs> but, um, and have like, you know, made many friends and enemies through that. Um, but I also think that, um, my, my mom's passing really taught me that life is so short that I don't need to actually waste any of the, um, small amount of time I have on this plane trying to be anyone other than myself because a part of the calling is being exactly who I am and so I'm really working on deep acceptance of that and even going through my mom's old emails to me I'm like oh the overriding message is do you be you who God sent you here to be. And I really need to take that seriously and do the work that is needed to get past that internalized depression and need to please other people or to shrink myself to make other people feel comfortable.
0: Yeah. I just breathe that in as well, because that's definitely a big lesson that I'm learning in 2019. um, And I'm someone who, I think a lot of people seeing me would see someone who's quite self-possessed and confident and all of those great things, but there, there is so much conditioning, um, that the, and I don't know if this is something that you've experienced, but I'm, I'm guessing it probably is what I have experienced is the further out into the world, my work goes, the more these kind of things come to the surface for me to work through. Um, And so I'm always like, yeah, it's so wonderful. Like so many people are, you know, doing this work. And, oh, look, (laughs) there's some of my um, unworthiness coming to the surface for me to look at um, and and for me to work through. And it's, it's really interesting to me to look at both the kind of personal story of me, the, the person Layla and my own kind of individual stories of my wounds in my family and, 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 you know, just my particular story of my upbringing, but also the wounds, the collective societal wounds of being a woman, of being a black woman, woman of being a Muslim woman, um, and what that has meant as well. Um, it's so layered and sometimes it just feels really exhausting. Um, Because it's like, what part is just my story and what part is I was seeped in this culture that is cishet, you know, white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalistic, you know, and and how much, um, sometimes it's scary realizing just how much of my worldview that I saw as this is the way things are, this is normal, is not actually normal.
1: And isn't that so, and and, and sometimes we have to hear that, right? We need to hear that from each other because when I think through, you know, when someone passes, you think through a lot, and we're talking about ancestors, so it's just making me think so much about my mom. Mm -hmm. think through a lot of, like, the conversations we had with people or things we needed to resolve, et cetera, and I often think about that. I'm like, you know, what is it that I just didn't get or that she didn't just get right and i th- and th- and i think what i was always trying to get her to know was i needed her to tell me this isn't normal you know mm-hmm. i needed her to tell me this person isn't right right and then i went back and realized oh but her whole message to me was why do you need me to tell you they're not right when your soul and your intuition is telling you that it's not normal and they're not right?
0: Wow.
1: And so that whole time that I was, and I finally, we t- finally talked about this, like, you know, later in life, I think that's when she was saying, okay, you're learning, but I would often kind of, you know, weirdly take that as complicity or pressure from her to conform when she's like, no, I'm actually trying to get you to see that, yes, they're wrong, but you shouldn't need me to tell you they're wrong.
0: Right
1: yes, you're right, but you shouldn't need me to tell you you're right. Yes, that is not normal. That is unjust, but you shouldn't need me to validate that injustice. You should have a sense of your own integrity, your own intuition about this and be able to walk with that and move it. And it's funny because you get the messages. There was something going on at work recently, and I went to one of my board members who is a spiritual person and someone I counsel a lot or I go to for counsel a lot, and I asked her a question, and she said, you know, since you've been here, your instincts have always been right, but I'm going to need you to follow your heart and your instincts. Hmm. Come here to ask me about your instincts, but those instincts have been right, so you need to follow them. And I thought, ah, oh, spirit is telling me this again. <laughs> um, that What is it that's made me feel as a Black woman that I have to always check my instincts, and and I know what it's been. I know the systemic reasons why. Because right. I'm questioned on my instincts, right? I'm always, but I I think you talking about like, you know, what is normal, what is not normal and how to, how we have to metabolize those things. That just is something that I realize is the work I constantly have to do. I constantly have to trust myself to recognize that my own inner stirrings are worthy of trust, most of all by myself.
0: Most of all by yourself. Um, wow. Wow. Because there's, again, and, and again, I know each one of us has our own individual stories, but I can only speak from my perspective as a, as a Black woman. I know that there are so many ways in which I've been taught to mistrust myself. And I know that knowing that isn't enough. Like the insight, the awareness doesn't mean that I don't still do it. Does that yes. make sense? And it totally makes sense to me yeah. because I think it's it's
1: like the conditioning is just so strong, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of like, you know, when we were talking offline about sometimes how, you know, even people who are like seemingly woke will, you know, perform their allyship or something like that, but then we'll be surprised if they do something that is incongruous to like what their public platform says about their views on racial justice or sexism or something and then be shocked right but no the conditioning is so strong that their own white supremacist like um learning their own misogynistic learning all of those things you know become so embedded that it becomes a part of who we are and it's like how oil would like soak into a skin. I, I thought about those pictures when we were in high school of the you know Exxon Valdez mm. oil right? Or um, maybe it was in elementary school then, and how those animals would have all that oil seeped into their skin, right? And and I think of that. Well, you know, you, they can never really wash it off, and just like people who have absorbed this false delusional notion that they're somehow superior because of white supremacy um, and privilege that we have absorbed internalized right. oppression, hypervigilance, right. a need to question ourselves and our own compass
0: right?
1: as a result of oppression and racial violence, sexual violence. And so those are things I'm constantly, I think that's why it's really hard to escape even when we have a consciousness about it because it's so common. It's seeped into the ether, into the air, like molecules. Yeah. Um, and I, I constantly have to be aware and I constantly have to be checked on it i mean even right now i'm like oh maybe i need to put something in my google calendar that reminds me every day to be like you know i have one now that says watch wait let it play out which is something my mom always said and i might add one that says white supremacy and misogyny is at work don't reinforce those bad habits <laughs> something like that you know to kind of remind
0: because me, they're oh. always at work exactly <laughs> and they, they don't out. stop they don't take a break <laughs>
1: And they are sneaky AF, you know, Mm -hmm. like (laughs) they will come and you will just think, oh, you know, I'm having a great moment and this will, you know, I mean, I was thinking once about just being in a room of progressive people and hearing a white woman just like use the N word, like it was nothing and how shocked everyone was. And to the point of kind of silence, right? And then when people finally said something, she's like, I'm just using it to demonstrate, you know, how terrible it is. But this the feeling of like, oh, that, you know, that, that it's like seeped into her skin so much. Right. That she's realized like how vile this behavior is. And, you know, alternately it seeped into my skin so much that it took me several moments to feel like I could say something because I like went shut down out of a self-preservation.
0: Exactly. Right. I was gonna say from self-preservation because it's so violent and and it's it's a it's a it's using words to cause trauma.
1: Absolutely, and it's so difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, but I really thank you for sharing that because I really appreciate and I know that my own work, as much as I do the me and white supremacy work which is about education for people who hold white privilege i know that the beneficiaries of my work as as i said my children myself uh, black women like yourself um and, and 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 black people indigenous people people of color um but i know that as much as i put this work out into the world and ask people with white privilege to self-reflect i'm constantly reflecting on my own internalized um self-hate, essentially, um, which sounds like a really strong term to use, but that's essentially what it is. Um, And I really struck upon that, I think, last week in in a mentoring session with my mentor, and I basically just had a breakdown, you know, because it was like we got to the root of the root of the root, and there was self-hate. And I was like, I don't understand this because I love myself. I really do. I I love myself and I'm not, you know, one of those people who walks around who shrinks away, but at the root, at the root, at the root was self-hate. And it explained so many things. And it was like, it was so freeing to name it as devastating as it was. It was so freeing to name it because then I could say it's real. There isn't actually something just fundamentally wrong with me, that I've carried this feeling with me. It's what I have been taught to believe is true, that who I am is worthy of hate. Um, and being able to name that and 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 say that, you know, because internalize the, the term internalized oppression, I don't think really speaks to just how violent it is against the self. Mm. Because it is, it's, it's, it's like internalized oppression. You just, it's kind of like it, 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 that is what it is, but you kind of separate the emotion from it. What it means about you and your relationship with yourself.
1: Yes. And it's hard because even if you think you haven't accepted, you know, because I think in a way, and you know, I think, and I wouldn't say that for every woman it's the same, but I do feel like as a black woman, I felt sometimes like, acknowledging sort, sort of internalized oppression I have as a woman is easier than the internalized oppression I have as a black woman mm. um, because somehow some of that has been destigmatized for white women right, right? And yes, yes 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 and, um, and so that has been something that I've just really been thinking about around, what that means you know or like the things that I feel like I could speak publicly about in certain ways or things I see white women speaking publicly about that I'm like oh well if I did that this has implications for black women on (laughs) mass in a way that I don't think white women think about their proclamations of things that are stigmatized in the same way that they might think oh it will be stigmatized for women like overarching umbrella, but not specifically around, like, a group that's already pathologized and marginalized and how that will have direct effects. You know, I often think of how, you know, I've seen some women be upset about the statistics mentioned of how many um, white women voted for Trump in this country, and, you know, I've seen some white women say, that's white women bashing, right, when it's like, well, you're just actually stating a stat, right? Right. This is like, it's not bashing, it's just stating a stat, yet I think that what's fascinating to me about that is that there's such a discomfort with being labeled as a group on, instead of like being um, measured by their own personal individual merit. Mm-hmm. And I think that as people of color, as women, you know, um, of color, and also I think, you know, I think of this from like many of my Islamic friends. I'm like, we come from communities that are used to, us individuals having to be held responsible for the actions of others in a way in which they're not. And so I often, I often reflect on that in terms of internalized depression too, that I'm often thinking about this burden of feeling like, oh, if I do this or I make this mistake or I do this thing that um, causes harm, that it has broader implications for like my people, (laughs) my community, And I think that that's something else that is, um, in terms of being an ancestor and legacy, something that weighs heavily on me, that I don't think it's right, but I think it's real.
0: Yes. Yes. I I love that you said that. It's not right, but it is real. And that's the, um, wow, I love that you said that, because that's the That's the point in which, you know, when, when I'm, I know when I've been on my path and doing this work that there's so many things where I'm like, I shouldn't have to do this. And this is the reality of the world that we live in right now. And so, you know, I've been at those crossroads where it's like, do I so do I answer the call? Like, do I do this? Or do I just say, screw it. I don't, it's not my responsibility. I don't, I don't need to do it. And I think that's really an individual up to each one of us, what we decide, what we decide to do, how we decide to approach that, um, how we, how we answer that question for ourselves. But I, it's like, it, it's just because we're, just because we make choices where we, just because we choose to make choices sometimes where we sacrifice what we might say because for the collective, it is better. Doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And and that, and that, that hurt can be um, stunning. That hurt yes. can be very stunning.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and it's not right. It's not right. But that this is the, this is the, and I know, you know, this as someone who, is deeply involved in in movement and and in 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 activism and in um in the feminist movement it's like there's so many complexities it's not binary there's so there's so many places in which it, things could be perfect but they can't be because that's the reality on the ground um and i have found so much value in not trying to fit everything into neat boxes of this is good, this is bad, this we do, this we don't do. Um, But really being in that place of nuance and in in those gray spaces. And sometimes it means that we screw up.
1: And and that we should be allowed to, right? Mm -hmm. I think I have a a white friend who is, you know, an amazing feminist and someone who's really doing the work of a capital T and a capital W (laughs) who said, You know, once I said, oh, well, you know, I I was in a job that I was ready to leave, but I said, oh, people are going to judge me. I've only been in this amount and, you know, I don't want to make it bad for other women of color who, you know, might come after me and all the things we have to think about because of all the things that we just discussed. And she said, how many white guys have gone into jobs and found things at the organization weren't as they were told or what as they thought and that they weren't set up to succeed And then they left. And how many times did they then, even if they were set up to succeed and squandered like millions of dollars, which you didn't do, that someone gave them another million dollars to do a startup, which you haven't been offered. (laughs) Right. And she said, you know, what is the difference? Like, why are they allowed to fail? And why are you not? Why are they allowed to try something and have it not work out? And why are you not? Why are they not allowed to make a decision and find out that a situation isn't working for them, and they're allowed to move on, where you feel obligated to stay because people will get upset that you've set a boundary for yourself. Yeah. And that was a groundbreaking moment for me to really, to really just sit with that that yeah. sense of obligation to continue to be in pain just to martyr myself, I guess, would be the right. word.
0: It's tough. It's tough. Um, I really appreciate you having this conversation with me. Um, and not necessarily tying it up with a neat bow at the end, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> it is life. This is, this is how it is. Um, This is is how it is. And and, uh, what I will say, however, is that I know and what inspires me about you is how inside of all of this complexity and inside of all of the pain and inside of all of the kind of second guessing and and all, all of that, inside of all of that, what is surrounding that is this really strong spiritual basis that you have. And what uh, my mentor would call, what I see in you, is what my mentor would call that you have a strong personal constitution.
1: Mm. Thank you for saying that. Um, that resonates with me because I think that's something my mom very much had. Mm. So I'm really going to sit with that and thank your mentor for me. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I just I'm learning from them too.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you. So um, Jamia, thank you so much for coming and having this incredible conversation with me, diving so deep, I really feel nourished um, and I'm really thinking about ans- Ancestry in a very visceral way from this conversation, from you sharing about your experiences of your mother, your, your own work in the world and the, the ancestors who've had an impact on you. Um, can you tell people where they can find you online how they can connect with your work um when they can get your book
1: thank you so much when you just thank you for the beautiful that work that you do i feel really honored to be a part of this journey with you and i can't wait for more ways to connect my website is jamiawilson.org, so you can find me there, and all the ways to connect with me, all my social media is there. I'm also on Instagram at wilson, and on Twitter at jamiaw. And I, I'd also like to say, if anyone is interested in um, my mother, because we talked about her, I built her a website at Willa Campbell wilson. Willa Alfreda, sorry, Willa Alfreda Campbell Wilson dot org. Um, and at Willa Alfreda Campbell Wilson dot org, you can just see her obituary, which is amazing, and you can also see memories from people from around the world who were touched by her life and so since I just got the honor and opportunity to talk with her and about her with you today and I'm very much feeling her spirit right now in our conversation I just wanted to share that um I had so wanted to make her a website during life and she we just never got around to it so I made her one (laughs) Um, that we're going to be building onto more, but it's just a memory site and I wanted to share if anyone wanted to kind of learn about the impact that she made while she was here.
0: That's incredible. Thank you. And we will, we will include all of those links in the, in the show notes for sure. Um, that sounds incredible. I can't wait to check it out.
1: Thank you so much. I just loved it. I mean, the fact that we're born at this time where literally when I miss her, I can go onto this website and, yes look at other people's notes about my mom or um, see one of her classmates from high school uploaded a picture that she wrote on the back of in high school to him, oh <laughs> you
0: know, made
1: my, like my day. So
0: that's so incredible. Um, thank you. Our, our final question as we close out, Jimia, what does it mean to you to be a good ancestor? Mm. What
1: does it mean to me to be a good ancestor? I think to have vision for many generations before you and the impact of, and many generations after you and to the impact of what you do in the present, how it will shape the future, but also how it will be read as history and how that will inform who people think we are now. Um, That's what I I think about being an ancestor. And so I, I wanna show up in a way that will leave me on the right side of history and shaping a better future for the next generation. And I think that my mom very much did that and I hope to follow in that tradition with love.
0: And you are, you are. Thank you so much, Jamia. Thank you so much. I've
1: really enjoyed talking with you.
0: As have I, thank you. I hope that this episode has helped you gain new insights and find deeper answers to what being a good ancestor means to you. We'd love to hear what some of your aha moments have been from this conversation. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at, at GoodancestorPodcast and drop us a comment to let us know what some of your biggest takeaways have been. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a good ancestor.